Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Welcome back to Interesting Questions. We're going to start this week off with Mishnah 10 of Pirkei Avot, Perak Aleph, the first chapter, where we are introduced to Shemaiah and Avtalion, two of the greatest rabbis. And it says that Shemaiah va'avtalion kiblu mehem. Shemaiah and Avtalion received the tradition from those before them. Shemaiah Omer, Shemaiah says, Ehav et hamlacha, love, work, and despise either the rabbinate or lordliness, and do not become overly familiar with the governing bodies. And so I want to start off, Akiva, by talking about that very first piece, the idea of loving your work. And I want to take it in two directions. One is the idea that everyone should work. Everyone should have a job. And there has been a historical uh, conflict, historical uh, discussion about the idea of learning versus working. And that's a pretty modern conversation. Um, We know that the rabbis in the time of the Mishnah both held jobs and were scholars. Um, and so this idea that, that perhaps one doesn't need to hold a job and just sitting and learning all day can be one's job is, is fairly modern. And I think if one can find a way to get paid for that, in other words, if you are a rabbi in a synagogue, right, who is going to sit and learn and then teach what you have learned. If you are going to be an educator where you can sit and learn and then teach what you are learning, although I will say from my own experience, very rarely do I get to spend time learning something that I don't teach, right? In other words, most of my learning was in preparation for what I was teaching. Um, Then great. And if you have someone who for a short period of time is going to teach you how to, is going to support you while you learn, then great. But I think there's another rabbinic concept that is important here, and that is the idea that we learn in Kedushin, Gemara Kedushin, it talks about that a parent, specifically the father, has a responsibility to teach his child, his son, which is that one of the five things that a father is responsible for teaching his son is a trade, right? Or a way to make a living. And so I think this has to be understood in conjunction with this Mishnah here, right? That we do have a responsibility to learn a trade, 
and to teach our children a trade, we do have a responsibility to work and to be productive members of society. And that sort of takes me to part two, which is if you're going to find a job, find a job you love. And while I don't necessarily 100% subscribe to the idea that if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life, I think there's always days that are better and worse, right? Finding a job that you love certainly makes it more fulfilling, more interesting. So I've sort of spewed my thoughts on that. I'll turn it over to you, Akiva. Do you have a question? Sure. So my question is, what can you tell us about how someone having productive work impacts their mental state and um, someone having a, a, a love, we'll call it a love for their job or a love for what they do for, for their life versus someone who does something simply because it makes them a parnasa, makes them a living. So that's a, a loaded question now that there's a question. Thank you, Avi. Um, so I think that when, when we talk about productive work, we have to put it in terms of what exists nowadays. Uh, back when all of this was first discussed, uh, volunteering was not really something that happened on a regular basis, right? We, we had people who assisted with things, people who helped out uh, in a variety of ways, but the classic sense of community service in the volunteering idea, in the idea of some people don't have a financially compensated profession, but instead they help out and do different things and they volunteer for those activities. I think that I would consider that to be included in productive work because a lot of times when I'm working with people and I do first and foremost will say that productive work is absolutely important for mental health, but it doesn't need to be paid. Right, So obviously getting paid is nice, and if you happen to not be independently wealthy, then all the more important to be able to put bread on your table. At the same time, there are individuals who can't necessarily work a classic profession where they uh, work and earn a living and are responsible for paying their own way. There are people that I work with or have worked with in the past that have mental illness that prevents them from that stable employment. Does it mean that they should be sitting on their couch not doing anything? No. It means that they need some kind of productive activity that is just that. It's productive. It's valuable. And I would love to give out several examples that exist. I would love to give some that exist here, but unfortunately I'm not as aware of the ones that exist here. But I can happily mention two that I can think of right off the top of my head in Eretz Yisrael. There's uh, Yad Lakashish, right? Which is, for anybody not familiar with it, it's a way to employ elderly individuals where they are making uh, covers for mezuzot or other art, uh, artistic things. And it's a wonderful opportunity for people who otherwise would potentially be retired and not necessarily enjoying their time, but sitting and perhaps 
to be perfectly blunt, withering away, which is not what we want to see anyone do, uh, it gives them a purpose. And that's just it. Productive work gives you a purpose. So even if it's volunteering, there's also communities that exist in, in Israel where uh, there are communities that have people with different kind of mental health issues, different intellectual disabilities or other developmental delays, where they, as a community, work. They run a community convenience store. They run different things that's, that are, yes, overseen by people who are able to assist with their needs, but it gives people purpose. It gives them a productive job to feel like they are doing something where at the end of the day, if they feel tired, they look at themselves in the mirror and go, I'm tired because I did something good and I feel good about me. So I think that productive work of any kind, be it volunteering or paid work, is phenomenally important. Volunteering, if you're not ready, or, or even if, let's say you are a trained professional in something, but you're not ready because of where you're at in your recovery, for example, to go back to that level of stressful work, or maybe you hated it, and that's why you ended up struggling with something in the first place, then you don't go back to that, maybe you're doing something else. Sometimes people will get what they consider to be a wellness job where it's something that helps them stay busy, helps occupy their mind, but isn't necessarily as taxing as what they were doing beforehand. There's no shame in that. There's opportunity for people to feel like they are re-engaging in society. And of course, it gives them the productivity aspect, which is fantastic. So that's very important. I'm a big fan of that. Um, and then the next piece of, well... Should you love your work? In an ideal world, yeah, it'd be great if you, if you are blessed to love what you do for a living and you go and every day, even if you had a terrible day, you can look back and go, I would really still rather be doing this than anything else. Fantastic. If you are like many who work because you need a paycheck and you need to put food on your table and you need to take care of yourself, or your family or what have you, then working is still important and there's still value to that. And I think that, again, when we're looking at when these, uh, when these discussions were had, the idea of a hobby, just like volunteering wasn't necessarily the most common activity, hobbying was also not necessarily a common activity. But I think hobbying, again, can be productive work depending on what your hobbies are. Most hobbies, though, are some kind of productive work. And so maybe you don't love your work. Maybe your work pays the bills. But if your work pays the bills and it gives you the opportunity to hopefully have something where you have a hobby and you enjoy doing that, then you still have the opportunity to love what you're doing. I would say even if you love to learn and you love to study and you would love to sit down with the Gemara in front of you at the end of a hard day's work and that makes you feel good, call a kavod, enjoy do that. There's nothing wrong with that. And working is so that you have the opportunity to be able to do that. So uh, those are my two or three cents on the importance of productive work and mental health. So thank you for sharing that. It, it keyed two other ideas in my head. The first one being that if you are here in the United States or in Canada and you're looking for some sort of uh, volunteer work to get involved in, I strongly recommend finding a nonprofit that you are that that speaks to that whose mission speaks passion. You're talking you. about passion. Yes, thank you. Who, that you are passionate about, whether it's your shul, whether it's an animal rescue, whether it's whatever it might be, homeless shelter or soup kitchen. Absolutely, 
and, and go in. And you may not start in the top rungs, right? You may start at the bottom, but that's the way many jobs begin. And so go ahead and, and speak to them. I can almost guarantee that everyone is looking for volunteers. Always. Always. And, uh, and if you're really passionate, that will play itself out, and they will see what you want, what you want to give and what you have to give them. Ah, so, so that actually uh, triggered something else that is the next piece, which is Usnat Rabanut, uh, which when we look down at what Rashi was suggesting, the idea that it was not the Rabanut necessarily, but perhaps the suggestion was holding positions of dominance and leadership, and so, uh, and, and being pompous and arrogant in, in your rank. And so it kind of reminds me of what you just said there, Rabbi Green, Rabbi Dr. Green, the, about the uh, point of entering into something, knowing that you might enter at the bottom most rung, and there's no shame in that. So, uh, Rabbi Green, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about Snata Rabbanut. So, again, I think there are two ways of looking at it. I think there is the way that Rashi suggests, which is this idea of, of lordliness, right? That each person is supposed to be humble. That we come, there, there's, a, a, there's a, any number of great rabbinic stories about humility, um, whether it's the story about, um, you know, Zusha, Rav Zusha, that... that uh, they say when you get to Shamayim, you know, Rav Zusha would say, they're not going to ask me why wasn't I like Moshe Rabbeinu. They're going to ask me why wasn't I like Zusha, meaning why didn't I reach my full potential? Or there's the story of, of the rabbi who would walk around with two notes in his pockets, one that would remind him that the world was created for, for him, and the other that says... Afar ve'efer anochi, that I am only um, dust of the earth. But I think the idea that being humble, recognizing that we're going to do things for others, even when we are paid for it, even when we are in leadership positions. Um, there are a lot of leaders who talk about how being a boss isn't about bossing around your employees. It's recognizing that you work for your employees and your customers, right? They are your boss. And if you can provide them with the kind of service that they feel is worthwhile, then your, your employees will appreciate you and your, uh, your customers will see the value that you are providing. The second way is that I think sometimes, right, and this is slightly ironic, if we look at the time in which the Mishnah was discussed and then written down, right, we're talking about a time when the Prushim, the Pharisees, who are later become the rabbis, were the sort of the common everyday person. And the, the, the hierarchy was the, the Sadducees, 
the priestly class. And so what ended up happening was that the, the Pharisees were saying, don't be like them, don't be, right? And, and for better or for worse today, sometimes we see that that has become the norm among some rabbis, right? Um, the Rabbanut in Israel, for instance, is a very political uh, institution. And so the idea that we should be careful getting into positions of leadership, whether it's rabbinic leadership, whether it is school leadership, whether it is business leadership, I think we really have to think about why we're going into it and what we want to accomplish. Is it about our own recognition? Is it about our own um, being making something of ourselves, or are we doing it to provide for others? So Akiva, I'm hoping you can share a little insight with us in terms of what is it exactly that pushes people towards or away from recognition, and how does that motivate us in terms of what we do or do not do within our institutions, either for work or for volunteering? So I think that it's really important for people to be humble. And at the same time, we actually know that there's groups of people who um, are more of a risk. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, we know that those individuals who are significantly in a place where they think they know what they're talking about and they don't are risky individuals because they often will be quick to step up and say, I know what I'm talking about, even if they don't. And that obviously is the importance of why humility and being humble is important because no one knows everything about everything. And so if you don't know something and you think you do, saying it can be dangerous. Similarly, there are individuals who don't know about things and don't say anything. Which, of course, one could say, well, they're being humble. Well, they're just pragmatic and they know they don't know about something, so they don't say anything. And then we have a group of people who know a lot about something, but don't think that they should be the ones to say it. They don't think that it's appropriate. They think that humility is important. And while humility is important, the challenge is, is if you happen to be someone who knows what you're talking about, and you don't say what you know, especially if you see things going on that are not correct, this can be a problem. right? And I will tell you that, unfortunately, within the field of psychiatry, there's no mistake that this is an issue. And within the field of addiction psychiatry specifically, this is certainly an issue. Um, there's a lot of people who unfortunately think that they know about how to treat addiction and don't necessarily do the right thing by the individual. Um, I, was, I was lucky to be trained in a place that was filled with brilliant individuals, many of which were happy to stand up and tell you how brilliant they were. Uh, you know, it was Boston. But I will tell you that I also had the pleasure of learning from some people who 
did not give themselves the credit that they deserved for how brilliant they were. At least, not the way that I feel like maybe they should have. Um, I'll never forget. We were, I, I was interviewing, and I was at one of those brilliant individuals' homes who, who did know how brilliant they were. But I was with my very, very new wife, um, and we're sitting in his home at a get-together for all of the prospective interviewees, and this brilliant man sits on the floor of his own home next to my wife and says, what do we have to do to get your husband to come here? This brilliant man who... Later, I heard in a group talking about how he was part of the studies that introduced a certain medication that is a, the standard of care for people suffering with a particular condition at the moment, um, or even then also, I should say, uh, how he was part of those studies. He spoke about it as if he was flicking his earlobe. And this is someone who, again, has a lot of really wonderful things to say and very important. And I was blessed to work with that man. And so it kind of taught me both the importance of humility, but also the value of making sure that if you know what you can do, you make sure you say it, because otherwise, at least in medicine, right, people get hurt. And I say in medicine, but the truth is, is that in education, if you teach someone in a way that ends up turning them off from learning, you're hurting them. And if you see that happening... And Avi, I, I, can, I can venture a guest to speaking to this, but I know that you can speak to this about watching educators because you educate the educators and that's part of your role. And so making sure that those educators do everything they can to encourage learning, even if the student seems to be this, that, or the other, how you can turn someone off, and that can be dangerous. How leaving a, a wet floor without a sign can be dangerous, right? The silliest little things that we don't take into account, not standing up and saying something can be dangerous. So I think when, and I may have gone off on a bit of a tangent, but I'm gonna bring it back. You'll see, I'll bring this back. Um, when we're at show and we walk by and there's a spill of water, don't walk by and say, well, someone else will take care of it. That's not my job. It is. It is. Because if somebody falls because you couldn't put out a towel or put something in the way so that, or tell someone, if you, maybe you don't have a towel with you, maybe you don't have something to dry it up, but if you don't tell someone and someone slips because of that, you could have done something different. And I believe that's a, a separate, you know, halachic thing that we learn, right? Don't stand idly by. And I think that speaks to the idea of perhaps what Rashi was saying when he said, don't give in to rank and, and pompousness because you're never too good to help out. You're never too good to speak up. And even if you don't know what you're talking about, you can say, I don't know, is this an idea? Let's say you're not confident in what you have to say. You can ask. You can always ask. And, and part of being humble is being willing to ask and saying when you don't know. And that's another important component as well, which I don't think we have to dive into. I think it's pretty self-explanatory that if you don't know, saying, I don't know, is not a sign of weakness. It is actually a sign of strength. Your question for around the Shabbos table is as follows. If you are working, 
What is your favorite part of your job? And if you are not yet working, what type of work do you think you would love to be engaged in, even if it's just a general sense? I would love to work with animals. I would love to have something to do with math, right? What is it that you would love to do? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.